Rushes. Oh, back door. Acosta. Yes! Santi Arias. It didn't take long. The breach comes quickly. More red cards than goals for Nashville during a week of futility against Philadelphia and Cincinnati. Those goals from Philly and Cincy, courtesy of Apple TV. And this is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. Uh, brought to you by the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. There is so much to talk about. Not a, a lot positive, though, for the boys at Gold now, who lost 2-0 to Philly at home, 3-1 to Cincy on the road, now 13 points out of first and sitting fourth as the League's Cup break starts. And Tim, we knew these matches were going to be difficult, of course, but now because of, of a, a July in which they have earned all of three points in four matches, Nashville, instead of being on the doorstep of the Supporter Shield race, now I think is looking at maybe its original goal of a home playoff game as as the aspiration. Uh, and even that going to be tough to reach if they keep playing like they've played here in recent matches. Yeah, I mean, the, the League's Cup break couldn't have come at a better time right, for a team that kind of <laughs> needs to find its mojo, uh, having a break where... Yes, you'll still be playing games. And of course, the All-Star break precedes the, the League's Cup break as well. But uh, you can kind of focus on getting right. You don't. I don't think Nashville is going to win League's Cup. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to aim to win League's Cup. Dismaying, though, that may be to me personally. <laughs> um, I think it's a situation where they are going to be able to use some of this time to kind of work on themselves rather than getting ready for for whatever the next opponent may be. And that's something that I think we quite clearly see uh, is is due at this stage. League's Cup as therapy, uh, essentially, is what Nashville SC is going to look at, I think. I agree with you. It's a time to get right, to get rested, to get back into form, maybe in some cases. But, but let that be the focus, the process, rather than the product. We'll get into that today. In the early shout first, though, we're going to diagnose Nashville SC's problems, and there are a lot of them. Five red cards in four matches after um, four previous red cards in club history. Uh, that's an issue. So discipline, a problem. Composure, a problem. Uh, finishing in front of goal. Uh, of course, refereeing issues. Uh, we'll, we'll get into some of the, the officiating questions as well. Personnel absences. What are the biggest factors here? I'm going to ask Tim on the fly to rank uh, those factors and 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 then talk about how League's Cup could be that opportunity to climb out of some of these issues or maybe at the very, very least just to rest some guys and give them a new, fresh perspective. In the mailbag, we'll get into transfer talk as the window rolls on. Might there be news from Nashville SC soon? Uh, and uh, some refereeing questions as well. All of the refereeing questions from you, uh, of course. Um, and then a couple of you asked, look, there's a lot of negative stuff going on. What can we be optimistic about? Where can we be excited? And so we're going to get you excited before we head into uh, a, a brief outside in Gold Cup discussion. And then I went to Huntsville for the first, uh, first not for the first time, we're in the Space and Rocket Center many, many times, but for the first time for a, a Huntsville City match. Great experience. And I want to recap my uh, my time there uh but tim first of course whatever happens win lose draw lose 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 red card red card there's always a Rose at the end yeah absolutely and uh you know if uh we we've talked about this in the past and we haven't had to talk about it in a while but if you need a place to drown your sorrows <laughs> on the heels or in in the midst of a losing streak, um, there's no better place than ML Rose. Um, if if a loss happens at home, as it did against Philadelphia, 
last week. You can just uh, walk those 14 minutes and 20 seconds right over there, uh, <laughs> kind of calm your nerves and, and try to try to uh, make yourself feel a little bit better with a with both some uh, delicious food on the menu and an, a broad array. Uh, you can either have a sad whiskey or a sad beer, <laughs> depending on how you feel about it. Yeah, I was at ML Rose, the Capital View location before the Philadelphia match. Uh, by the way, the first time I've ever attended a match not as a media member and had Nashville SC um, not win that match. So maybe I was a good luck charm for a while, but apparently the magic has run out. Uh, but the Capital View location, um, great experience. And I, I actually took a picture of the menu because uh, not not the the front of the menu that we love talking about all the time, but actually the mission statement on the back that includes um, their family values at ML Rose. Thought this this was useful, Tim, because we like to talk about their product, but but what goes into that? What what those values are? I think you know make this restaurant so good and so consistently excellent. Uh, we treat everyone like a good neighbor. We practice practice respectful directness. Uh, which I like. We engage in open and honest conversations, even when it's uncomfortable. We believe in balance. Uh, we don't hold back. We have fun. We are agile. We find a way. Details matter. And they talk about how they treat everyone equally, you know, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Asian, LGBTQ, rich, poor, no matter who you are. All those things, Tim, go into a place that, I mean, it's probably part of the reason why the food is so good is because they're passionate about people, but also it makes that experience feel that much better when you're there. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, as as good as as the food can be, as good as the drinks can be, you know that it's a welcoming place. And we've we've talked a lot about how it's it's very welcoming for soccer fans. And it's not just that too. And it's something that um this is not just a place that that has a mission statement. They stand on their values and and that's obviously something we appreciate. ML Rose, feel good about eating there, eat well while you are there. Capital View, Eighth Avenue, West Nashville, Mount Juliet. And uh, hope to see you there perhaps before some leagues cup action or maybe even after. Let's get to the early shout. Yeah, and he's going to get a second yellow here. I thought Washington was carrying that second yellow. That's a red card. There's the, there's the, yep. Remy Duchamp started chasing after and said, wait a minute, we got some unfinished business. Fafa's uh -oh. gone too. Fafa, this Fafa's is insanity. Back-to-back -back terrible decisions for Nashville SC. As now Fafa Picot is showing his second yellow here. The, the one thing that is obviously brutally disappointing and, and gut-wrenching is that as I look back across um, the last six games, and I think I've said this before, we, we knew this run was going to be a tough one, losing players from the outset. We had four out of the six away. So, you know, consequently, you're always going to run into some, some tough opponents. Out of those six games, we should, have, we should have got points out of five of them. If I look at the performances... And we only got points out one, which is a DC game at home. The Columbus game, we were well beaten. So I, I have no qualms with that. The guys need to take a look inside in this league break and really, you know, ask some questions. Finishing and a clinical edge in front of goal as, as, as cost us in some of the other games. Discipline, whether that's officiating or our own self-discipline. It has to be looked at. But in and amongst all of that, I'm not sure anyone, any fan, any, any staff member, anyone connected with a club can look at the group and say that they've not given absolutely everything to try and get something out of the game. Um, so I don't think there's a problem with what the guys and how the guys are are in many ways representing the team as, as a, a competitive entity. 
So you just heard Taylor Washington and Fafa Fico's second yellows against Cincinnati, as well as Gary Smith talking about the larger issues that this team faces now in the wake of five losses in six. Tim, more frustration from Gary Smith, more futility for the boys in gold. According to the referees, more foul play. Where do we start with the the struggles this team is currently experiencing? Yeah, I mean, there's no single factor that that explains away a team being really good and then suddenly not being very good uh, obviously there's simple luck to it but there are a lot of things that go into it um nashville's personnel losses have have coincided both with gold cup and with um some of the officiating that you just mentioned there so some of these factors kind of come together and, and are interrelated but at the end of the day like like i mentioned off the top it's it's a team that kind of needs a bit of a reset and, and hopefully they have that chance going forward here We'll get into the gold nuggets to show you the problem, and then we'll assess the problem. I've given Tim a menu of six factors to explain, because if I asked him, is it this, this, or this, he's going to say, it's all of them, but we're going to rank them uh, in terms of the most... most. You bet I am. (laughs) (laughs) That is always the answer. I'm learning how to ask you the right questions to get the right answers um, and to get away from the feelings ball. But first, let's get some stats together for you in the gold nuggets and, and compare the last six matches to the season average before that point. Um, up until this six match stretch, which began with the Montreal road loss and concluded, of course, with the Cincy loss this weekend, Nashville had averaged 1.94 points per match. Now that has been brought down to 1.58. I won't do the math as to what three points and six matches looks like, because that's pretty easy. That's 0.5 and that's not good. Um, what about what goes into that expected goals per match versus the season average during the six match stretch, Nashville averaging about 1.23 XG, uh, per contest. Not a huge drop down from what they did actually to start the season. 1.37 XG per match during the first 18 matches. Part of that, of course, is they're trailing. They're going to pepper the net with more shots. And and so Game State's going to impact that. And even with Game State, they're below, uh, but not significantly so. Uh, Defensively, 1.37 XG against during that stretch. Well up from the average before of 0.98. Keep in mind, though, in those last six, they've also surrendered three penalty kicks. Uh, those come with an XG of somewhere around 0.75 themselves. So uh, that's going to be a factor there. Um, yellow cards per match uh, versus the season average. 16 yellows in the last five matches. So just over what three per. Before that, they were averaging just 1.7 yellows per match among the lowest in Major League Soccer. Not anymore. And then red cards versus club history. Um, five reds in four matches. Before that, they hadn't had one this year. They had four in club history. We're talking Dax against New York. We're talking Dax against RSL. Alistair Johnston with two yellows in 2020 uh, against SKC. And there was one against LA Galaxy. And I couldn't remember if that was a was a Walker red, I think, in the box or a handball. I think. Could be. I don't remember. I, don't, I, don't remember. I do remember the. Was against that Gal- was the Yovalek winner one, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so obviously discipline um, has has been <laughs> lacking in a big way or the referee's interpretation of Nashville's discipline. So those are the issues that those are some of the numbers going into what the last six matches have looked like. Are there any numbers there, Tim, before we start attributing ca- causes here? Any numbers that jump out to you here or others that you've seen that, that are a good representation of of Nashville's recent struggles? Yeah, I think the most obvious one is that disciplinary record because this is a club that has, um, since its inception, been one of the cleaner teams in Major League Soccer. And then all of a sudden, uh, they have not been adjudicated as such over the past couple matches. And and some of that is is legitimate. Like it's a, a ref's job to call the balls and strikes. If you throw a if you throw a ball, he's not going to call a strike, or or at least should not call a strike. So 
Um, if Nashville is, is committing the, the infractions, they should be called for them and vice versa. But I think um, maybe a little bit of, of zealousness is, yeah. has come into play in ways that Nashville was not expecting. And that's, that's played a role as well. But I do think that that's the biggest one. A lot of the other stuff, um, the points per game is obviously downstream from, from the results themselves. But um, the defensive effort is is slightly worse, but not that worse. A lot of those things are down to randomness, game states, things like that. So um, the biggest one is is that Nashville has played two men down for, for a lot of the last uh, mm-hmm. seven days here. And, um, you know, without Walker Zimmerman for a game before that against Chicago, it's a situation where just a lot of bad stuff has come together at once. So here's a menu of six factors that I've chosen to bring to you. I'm not asking you to go one to six here. We'd be here all day. Nope, I'm going to do it on the fly. Then, okay, then we'll be here all day. <laughs> do it. I was going to ask you even just to pick three that stood out the most to you, but we'll go as many as you want to go here. The factors, we'll set them out for you. Tough opposition, poor refereeing, loss of composure. Those are the first three. Personnel absences, tactical errors and by that i mean you know managerial in nature and imprecise play so opposition refereeing loss of composure personal absences tactical errors imprecise play and there i say poor finishing you know just just miscues mm-hmm. on the pitch uh pick your top ones here rank them what what are these what are the biggest factors leading into these struggles for nashville SC? i think the first one is personnel absences like i just mentioned some of that is from gold cup um some of that is from nations league some of it is is red cards that have come in, in a variety of ways. Jack Mayer's injury has has affected this team a lot too. That's a huge one. Um, imprecise play obviously is is a little bit downstream from that, but it's just mm-hmm. a matter of this team is is just not clicking the way that they do. I don't think Jack Mayer's bad pass that led to the Chicago Fire goal is something that has anything to do with with tactics. It doesn't have anything to do with poor refereeing. It it sure as hell does not have anything to do with tough opposition. It's just a bad moment that is maximally punished. And Nashville's going to have bad moments. They have not usually been maximally punished. So I think uh, just randomness and, and small sample sizes. Yep, there it is. <laughs> Both come into play there. <laughs> Took 15 minutes. Um, Good job. Yeah. Uh, loss of composure is downstream from that too. Um, mm-hmm. The the Shaq uh, red card, the uh, the one that happened for Fafa on, on Sunday or Saturday evening, excuse me, are just guys kind of losing their heads because they're getting frustrated there. These are situations that um, I think they come back to, to the, the manager to a certain extent as well. Um, but those are individual decisions that, that can't be made. I think maybe you could say tactical errors behind that. I don't see anything specific tactically per se. It's it's more of personnel choices, but those are limited by by what you get from yeah. from the available players too. Yeah, I mean, I, and then I, uh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Wes. No, no, I was gonna, I was gonna keep going. You're fine. All right, and then uh, I will say after that uh, is uh, let's see, what I only have two left, right? Poor, I think poor refereeing is is behind that, or yeah, number five out of six here, I guess. Um, it's just a situation where you, you don't you don't want to say the refereeing decides a game. I think there are situations where you say that it that it can, um, regardless of of whether that's fair to the officials or not. And we, you know, we kind of bend over backwards to defend the officials, even when they make bad calls, it still can affect the outcome of a game. And then the last one is tough opposition. It probably would have been much higher than this, except Chicago fire beat this team. So, so uh, when one of the worst teams in the league beats you, you can't say, Oh, it's because of the opposition. Um, realistically, uh, if you, if you took the fire game out of there, Losing to Philly at home stinks, but it's understandable. Losing at Cincinnati is something that almost everyone has done. These are not mm-hmm. games that are that are damning of Nashville's overall effort. 
tough opposition would be probably number like three, if not for that fire loss. That's fair. I think for me, it's about composure. I think this, this team led a combination of factors, some of which are listed here impact their ability to um, comport themselves like they usually do on the pitch. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the scoring dried up a little bit due to some imprecise play, which caused them to get frustrated. Uh, that's compounded by some calls that are either 50, 50, or in some cases just flat out poor. Uh, I think there was a lot more actually 50, 50 the last two games than just terrible calls, but they all seem to fall against Nashville sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not so good. And then you see veterans doing things that veterans don't do. I think if Nashville's, you know, putting in a couple goals a game and those some of those calls still go against them, we don't see the composure lost like yeah. like we do. But it's these combination of factors, veterans knowing the team is better than this, not getting any help from the referees, um, and and just kind of losing their minds. Uh, guys who don't normally lose their minds. I mean, Shaq Moore had a moment of frustration there. Some were debating whether it's a red. I I think it's a red. I think especially with yeah. what it led to. I think it's a red. Dan Lovitz, he was pulled back by by um the the attacking player for Philadelphia. He was fouled. I saw it on the near flank. It wasn't called. He picks up the pace, gets mad, clears the guy out. It's a clear yellow. It's a clear penalty. Yeah. But he was fouled beforehand. That's it's absolutely yeah. true. Taylor Washington. He 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 goes. He lunges for the ball on a yellow. It was the first yellow great. No. Was that a wise decision though by Taylor? No, and I'm sure he it's, it's 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 I so I know people are saying, oh well, it, it made sense, whatever. Taylor Washington did a bad thing, and yes, he did a bad thing, but grabbing the ball is almost never a yellow card, and certainly not as you're being taken down by the waist. It it, it can be something that you whistle without without calling yeah. if you weren't gonna if you weren't gonna call the football tackle that that Washington was being <laughs> subjected to at the time. That's fine, but you can't then say, oh, because he thought the play was going to be whistled dead because anybody who has ever watched a soccer game and has a whistle in their hand would have whistled this play dead. And he knocks the ball away. Um, you know, the, the match commentators and uh, others have said the, the official did not realize he had already called Taylor for a yellow card offense earlier. And that was why he, he busted out the yellow card and he immediately was like, oops. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't Well, let's hear from Gary Smith on that moment and on the general trend of officiating here recently. It looked to me like he was just struggling to deal with the atmosphere. There was just the pressure, I think, told on some of the choices and decisions he made. And yet again, we've been on the receiving end of it. The things that that can't be changed are the choices, obviously, the officials make. So if I use Taylor's sending off as an example, I would, you know, very aggressively um, deny that that was a book in the first one. So therefore, the referee puts himself in a position, obviously beyond that. Taylor has to understand that he's now in a difficult spot, like it or not. The referee doesn't actually remember that he's booked Taylor. I do believe that. And I'm not sure that the second one was actually a booking. And would anyone inside the ground or anywhere else that have made... Um, you know, any sort of noises if the referee had said, look, that's your last one, and then you're off. And I think there needs to be some understanding and some common sense that's that's just used. If the referee is just so blinded by what's going on in the ground and cannot deal with that pressure, you're talking about the character of the individual. There. So, yes, there are things we can do, but I think there are also things that some of the officials that we've run into 
should certainly be looking at and and you know deep down be considering that that have happened in the game. So so Gary talking, you know, about two things there, Tim, and I think that fits kind of where I'm at as well. Some of these calls were were questionable. I'm not going to go so far as to to say what Gary just did about it. it comes down to the character of the referee. I think that's some emotional post-game speak there that may see him a little lighter in the pocketbook and he'll take that every time. But I think it's, you know, Taylor's an example, right? Like, is it a yellow? Debatable. You're debating pretty strongly. It's not. But he still makes the movie, still puts himself in that position. I thought the Dan Lovitz penalty call, the first one, the arms into the back of Gazdok, I thought that was soft. But again, there's not a lot of impact. I think Gazdok throws I believe. I believe both Dan Lovett's yellow cards do have been legitimate I'm not saying it's illegitimate. That's the point I'm making. I think it's the right call because he does extend his arms. I think Gazdok launches himself. Uh, I I think he helps the referee make the call. But that's the point, right? Regardless of how you feel about these calls, in every single one of them, there is a shade of legitimacy at least a shred of yeah. legitimacy in Nashville's my, going back to my original point, the, they're losing their composure and making yeah. silly mistakes and they're not giving themselves the opportunity to get on the right side of the referee's whistle. Yeah. And I think um, more so than um, I'll make another, I'll make the exact same baseball reference. In fact, more so than the refs not accurately calling the balls and strikes, so to speak, it's a matter of in these past two games, it's, it's kind of just a loss of control over the match. And I actually thought on Saturday evening, Rami Tushan was, was, calling a, a, a typically good match. I think he's a good official um, from the moment the official or the, uh, excuse me, the fan threw the ball away from Alex and wheel. And there was, and there was nothing uh, punitively for, for even the fan, much less for Cincinnati. Uh, he, he really lost the, the official lost his composure there, lost control of the match. Um, I think you could, you could even go back to, to the Miazga wheel uh, circumstance from the first half. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of was, uh, primed to boil over if something happened and then something happened and he didn't do a whole lot to, to rein in the match. And then, uh, you know, I think once that gets going, it, it is, it is hard to stop. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I think on Wednesday that the, the balls and strikes of, especially the, the two Lovitz calls, I think were the right call. Um, I do question, um, the official on Wednesday, Sergey Boyko was somebody who, um, had a howler of a match the previous weekend in, in Columbus, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who is very plugged into, um, the, the officiating, uh, landscape in this country, but it's not involved with, uh, PRO, the pro Refer- professional referees organization told me he'd be surprised if, if that official ever refed in MLS again, it was only like his fourth or fifth MLS match as a center official. He had two assignments this past week. Um, both of them were, <laughs> were poorly regarded. So it's, it is a situation where, um, you know, it's it's not easy because there aren't uh, an abundance of officials out there. And they, they the best guys out there are the guys that they have to continue to assign to matches. And so, you know, when there's a huge mistake like that, fans are going to remember it. But the reality is that <laughs> the officials have to continue calling matches because that's who is there. Mm-hmm. And we always say, if you're, if you're upset with the with the officials, um, go back and and become an official yourself, and and you know, kind of raise the floor a little bit. But this the the ability to to watch the game in front of you and say that is a foul, that is not a foul, is one thing. But the ability to know kind of how to manage the game so that the fouls don't escalate, so that the 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 uncalled fouls, especially, don't escalate, is something that I think Nashville is on the wrong side of this week, and it's not something that excuses any sort of performance issues. I don't think it excuses. Um, especially Fafas and Shaq's um, red cards, which I, I again I think were both fairly given. Um, Fafas was a second yellow 
yellow, but they were both, um, you know, kind of violent moments that, that you would typically <laughs> see a red card called for. So I do think it's a situation where Nashville, they, they probably feel hard done and and like they, they got screwed over by the officials this week. But the, I think from a, an observer's perspective, it is also not the reason they lost certainly yeah. against Philadelphia. It obviously played a role in the Cincinnati match, but it was not the deciding factor in the Cincinnati match either. Yeah, composure in key moments. I mean, you talk about, you know, Teal Bunbury's missed sitter in the first half mm-hmm. against Philadelphia. And as somebody who's missed way easier against a real than bad that, keeper, too. We yeah, were roasting was, Joe Bendick here last week. That was a heartbreaking, I think, moment for Teal. Yeah. If if that goes in, and we're not going to flame Teal here, but if but I think he would tell you if that shot goes in, this whole week could look different for Nashville. If they're up one mm-hmm. nothing, it sets into uh, to um, it's, it's back to the future, right? It sets into action a whole different chain of events potentially against Philadelphia. Who knows what happens in Cincy, but I think it's a very different match. And, and so I think that that goes back to the point of look, Nashville can point to individual decisions from the referee, but ultimately it comes down to to their Im- imprecision. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. that's why they are where they are and lack of composure. One note: um, Stephen Shirley reached out to us. Don't always agree with with Stephen, um, but but he is you know in the officiating corner of of these discussions he is a referee and trains them and he did mention if uh, if anyone is interested in certifying as a u.s soccer federation referee he's instructing uh, a camp on july 29th um so it's an opportunity right for those who want to get involved mm-hmm. to get involved uh steven thanks for reaching out thanks for your continued discussion with us your criticism is noted that you don't like it when we talk about the referees we try to be fair though and be be um you know specific about our our issues with them and yeah redemptive in our discussion of the refereeing landscape in, in yeah. North America. And, and I'll draw my line in the sand. Rami Tushan is a good ref who had a bad game. Sergey Boyko is a bad ref who had a bad game. <laughs> I will agree with both of those things. I will yeah. absolutely agree with both of those things. All right. On to um, happier things here for a minute before we go back to sadder things in the mailbag. I think um, let's talk about leaks cup. Uh, we're going to, we're going to lead off with Wesley Bryant's comment. He says, I think Nashville SC should take leagues cup very Seriously, could be a trend. Have a path to a lot of home games. Good path to Concacaf Champions League. Plus, keeps guys informed for the rest of the season. If we flame out in the group stage, that's a long break, and rust could develop. Like all of that, I'll give you the basics of the tournament, and we're going to get into that question: How seriously should Nashville prioritize League's Cup? First, the basics. Every MLS and Liga MX East team divided into groups of three. Two champions. Uh, so, so LAFC and forgive me, who won? Liga MX last oh, year. God, you're putting me on the spot. Sorry. Yeah, we're both. There was spot. somebody who wasn't supposed to. They oh, both. Pumas? No, I don't. I don't. Anyway, they both. Yeah. They both advance automatically to the round of 32. Uh, everybody else divided into groups of three. There are no ties, so we're going going straight to to PKs. All the matches at MLS stadiums. There is, as mentioned a second ago, a 32 team playoff. First, second, and third place earn admission to Concacaf Champions League uh, next year. That is the state of play for this tournament. Nashville SC in a group with Colorado and Toluca. So Colorado Sunday, Toluca Thursday, the 27th. Rapids bottom of the West. Two of their three wins this year in MLS have come on the road. Toluca, it's early in the Liga MX uh, Apertura right now. They're 1-1-1 one, one, and one for what it's worth. They were fourth in the combined Klaus Cura and Apertura last year. Uh, Toluca famous for being the home, a home of chorizo sausage in Mexico. But uh, according to Wikipedia, quote, their economy has expanded far beyond sausage in recent years. I just thought that was a great sentence to read. Uh, so that's Pachuca, the state of play. By the way. What's that? Pachuca was the, the league. Pachuca, MX, thank uh, you. Bye. Bye. Appreciate that. Stage. Yep. Okay. Yep. Thanks. Um, all right. So that's the state of play. That's, that's the sausage situation in Toluca. 
Um, Tim, to the question, how seriously... <laughs> Big two, the state of play and the sausage situation in Toluca. You're going to learn how sausage is made on this show, literally hey and figuratively and not sexually, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no hey in that. Um, to, the, to the much more important question at hand, how seriously should Nashville prioritize this tournament? And okay, two questions here, because I know what your answer to should is. Now, how seriously will they prioritize it? Uh, I think they should. Um, I've been saying that every every tournament that exists during the season, starting with U.S. Open Cup, that is not you have to play 34 games to win this supporter shield or you have to get to the end of those 34 games and then play, which is MLS Cup. They should take very seriously. This club doesn't have any hardware. It's like the I, I saw the the table earlier this week and forgive me because I don't remember it. This is like the seventh winningest uh, win percentage club in major league soccer and and everybody ahead of them has trophies obviously nashville has many fewer years with that with that uh, uh that amount of winning that they've done so far but you you want to add some hardware at some point and i think that this club is is hungry for it and should be hungry for it a chance to go beat a liga mx team i, I talk about this all the time uh I, it means a ton for the perception of major league soccer and it means a ton for the perception of nashville soccer club in this city uh, including, you know, if you go down, uh, drive down Nolansville Pike, drive past the zoo, and you'll you will see a lot of people who uh, are going to show up to Geodis Park, and, and they are not going to be cheering for Nashville SC. I don't know nope. if they're necessarily Toluca fans, but you will see you will see people who have a Liga MX team in Nashville. Uh, choosing to prioritize defeating a Liga MX team at home in Geodis Park is how you begin to win some of those fans over and say this is now. It, you know, it's it's uh, Nuestro Equipo, as the the old USL days <laughs> bumper stickers said. So I think that's really important in terms of how seriously I think they will take it. It really depends. Do they have a new striker that they need to get integrated by the time this tournament actually begins? I think they want to do that. It depends on if that player is coming off of his offseason, as he will be, <laughs> essentially. And, and, you know, how many game minutes does he need? How many game minutes can he take? And then secondarily... Um, do they want to say, forget it. We need to get down to brass tacks and focus on getting back where we feel like we should be in the MLS table. Mm -hmm. I think that that is what is probably a little more worrisome to me that they will do. They did that in the U S open cup. Um, and to their credit, the, the major league soccer results were very good at that time. And I think if they look at, um, leagues cup, obviously it's a different situation because there's a complete buy for league play until August 20th at this stage They they aren't um, playing, you know, they aren't playing between the notes to use the old, uh, jazz, uh, terminology there. They aren't playing between the notes on, on Saturday games with Wednesday cup games. So there's nothing necessarily to be gained by, by coasting through it either. So hopefully I think that gives them the impetus to say, you know, if we, even if we do need to come out and, and work on ourselves first, we can do that in match play and, and come out. And um, I think this is a team that should be able to beat the Colorado Rapids and should be able to beat a lower mid table Liga MX team. And then from the knockout stages, you do what you can. Yeah, I'm torn here because I think there's probably some inclination on the part of Gary Smith to say, you know what, the past six games have been mostly crap. Let's come out against Colorado, play a strong lineup against a team we know we can beat, and let's hammer them. Especially since it's Colorado. Especially Colorado, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think the 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 interests of the club actually go the opposite direction, and I think you you mm-hmm. you know you treat Colorado as a as a game to play an A minus or B plus type of side. I'm not suggesting you put in a bunch of Huntsville guys here. I mean, I think you play a good lineup uh, that Hani Mukhtar is probably a, a part of, or maybe goes 45. Uh, and, and but but you you know 
you you rest a little against Colorado and you put your all your all your eggs in the Toluca basket mm-hmm. um, for for the marketing reasons you've said, but also because that's most likely a tougher a tougher game for you and a chance to show out. And then if you get to the knockout round, I think you treat this seriously uh, for sure. And and you're still going to probably end up getting some sort of nice break. And there's something to be said for with two teams advancing from a three team group. You probably can take one of these games not that seriously as long mm-hmm. as you essentially guarantee yourself a win in the second one you're likely to advance out of the group nonetheless so that's something that even if they want to maybe coast through one of these games that doesn't mean that they fail to advance to the knockout stage which players do you think stand to benefit most from this tournament uh, i think anybody who has been injured or out of the lineup for a while for various reasons i think anibal godoy getting back comfortable in Nashville after uh, a heartbreaker for Panama uh, last night against Mexico, but also just not being with this team enough. And, and similarly, um, hopefully Jack Mayer back fully healthy, gets his game feet back under him. I think things like that can be really helpful. But at the same time, I think you look at the guys who are struggling to get consistent playing time, but are still playing. Um, Taylor Washington would actually be one, despite despite how um, upset with him some fans might be after after Saturday night. But a guy like Ethan Zubak, for example, a guy who who is going to want to say, hey, I deserve playing time even when a new striker arrives during this window before league play. I, I have a chance to to put my stamp on this and, and get some minutes. I think he's a guy that um, you know, he has the opportunity to benefit. I don't know that he necessarily will benefit or take advantage of that opportunity, but it's something that I think is is very clear in front of him. Yeah, I point to a guy like Teal Bunbury for the same reasons you just mentioned Zubak, a guy who obviously is playing more than, than Zubak now, but sees his position coming to jeopardy. So. <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, surely the the lasting mental images in his head is is him, you know, getting it past the keeper and soaring the ball right above the crossbar a, a, a goal he probably scores eight times out of ten uh, if not more and, and i think getting that mental image out of his head getting on the mark against against colorado or certainly against toluca will, would, would go a long way toward helping him i don't think this nashville team is in a desperate place i mean desperately bad last six games but i think just getting some flashes of success for the goal scorers gets them back into a positive mental state of mind especially if they can then look you lose valiantly to a good league mx team in the round of 32 around the 16 you get a couple weeks off you've played decent soccer regardless of how this tournament ends i think that's the goal at a league's cup. It has to be being in a positive mental and physical place heading back into league play. And that's more important than any particular result, but it's going to mean getting some results most likely. Um, yeah. And- I actually think it, it, it would make sense to to go out and, you know, try and play some five, four games. I think the defense can, can play <laughs> poorly and say, yeah. Hey, we, we know who we are. We know what we have been. I think the attack, seeing the ball go into the back of the net five times or, or four times, I guess, if Nashville were to be on the wrong end of that, is something that could provide some confidence going forward. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think that could be a whole lot of fun to have Leal as a shuttler, Mukhtar at the top of the diamond, you know, Zubak and Bunbury together up top or Fafa and Bunbury or Schaffelberg on the other side. Just play an attacking lineup and say, screw it. We're going to score some freaking goals. Yeah. I don't mind and that. I think it would be good uh, for, as per what I mentioned before, Fans who haven't given Nashville SC a chance to be their team, and that that includes people who are, who are you know coming from the, the Nolansville Pike area, who are more likely to be Liga MX fans right now. I think you can uh, with some exciting play, and that's something that 
Um, I would contend that Liga MX is exciting more because of a lack of defense, but yes. hey, show, show them what they want. <laughs> Play the game. Play that yeah. back and forth game. Right? A lot of transition, a lot of fun. Uh, we'll have a lot more Leagues Cup coverage, and I'll go ahead and commit to you that Sunday, I'm planning to go to the match, uh, and I will go to ML Rose either before or after, and I'll keep you posted on the social media platform I tried to quit unsuccessfully two weeks ago. Uh, I'll, I'll tweet and let you know. Threads? You try, to, you try to do it on threads? <laughs> <laughs> thread man it's such a community on twitter we all do that yeah. it's hard to just replicate that right away on Twitter. i'm on threads but need to need to work on my uh my, my threads game for sure um yeah i, I mean in Mill Road, it's going to be a great place to be i think and and hopefully we'll see a good diverse crowd of folks uh headed to the the match maybe people we don't normally see and maybe some of those tim can introduce themselves to ml rose if you hadn't been to a match lately or at all this year and you want to hit league's cup um head to that wonderful restaurant and be happy to see you there yeah. And it's a situation we, you know, obviously we talk about Emil Rose in literally every single episode. And and I think it's important to mention as we often do that we don't, we don't encourage people to go to Emil Rose just because they sponsor the podcast. Although that's obviously the primary reason we do it is, it is a product. It is a restaurant that we, we really believe in. And, and um, you know, we're hoping to, to help you guys believe in them too. And that's something that, uh, you know, has been important to us from day one. Whether or not victory is sweet for Nashville, the Carolina will be sweet. There will be Carolina sweets uh, around League's Cup. That was rough, but we'll move on to the mailbag now. <laughs> uh, lots of questions from you guys. Patron Saint of Coffee on June 21st. Tim, put us number nine in power rankings for the league. Since the time of that tweet, we went one and five. At the time, we were clearly the best team in the league. Did Tim's dependence on facts driving the conversation ruin our season? <laughs> or maybe, maybe the facts driving Tim's analysis uh are the reason nashville regressed to the mean speaking there uh that's <laughs> what i will say but tim will give you a chance to defend yourself uh for your logic and reason and your clear jinx of this team yeah no you uh you actually nailed it right there is this team was um on a results perspective from a results perspective overperforming what it was doing for the underlying numbers and i i mentioned you know in every every single post where i did the the power rankings which i um do inconsistently at best lately but Nashville had reasons to say they were um, going to be able to continue outperforming what the the advanced numbers said because they were playing from ahead a lot. Um, they're a team that once they score one goal, they're not going to sit there and pepper the net anymore. They're going to sit on that and, and maybe counter. And, and even a, a golden counter opportunity is going to get you like 0.3 expected goals anyway. And if you finish it, you finish it and you get that goal. That's, that's overachieving your expected goals by, by 0.7. Uh, if my math is correct there. So it, it is, it is a situation where Nashville maybe from a results perspective, looked a little bit better than they were. And even if there were reasons for that, when their circumstances changed, they weren't able to adapt to the new reality. And I think that has led to, I, I, I still think they're better than the ninth team in the league. I haven't actually updated the, the power ratings in a little while, but I think they're better than that. And I think the power ratings actually probably ding them less than fans do based on the results of the past six games. And hopefully the results start to uh, moderate themselves instead of being all or nothing. Uh, Wyatt, Hani seems to have taken a step back uh, performance-wise the last couple of games. Uh, editor's note here, he has now not scored in five, uh, four and a half, really, because uh, he, he didn't start in one of those in Chicago. Wyatt asks, is this fatigue or maybe discouraged by the team's performance? I'll say it's a, it's a function, number one, of road matches, decreasing the chances you're going to have 
uh, to score in the first place. Number two, players around Hani not being as um, as incisive or effective in connecting with him. And you saw when Jacob Schaffelberg came in, started against Philadelphia, even though there were no goals, you saw the chances escalate when you had Schaffelberg back. When you had Pico back, you saw a few more of those opportunities, especially in that Philadelphia match. But I want to give you a chance, Tim, to, to identify any potential issues with with Hani's play that you're seeing, or do you agree with me that it's more just a product of the of the team play right now? Yeah, that's part of it. And a product of the team play is game state too. This Nashville team and, and specifically Hani Mukhtar are designed to um, play from an even game state or ahead. They love to get out in transition. Uh, as soon as other teams get out ahead, they are going to say, we're not going to let you play in transition anymore. We're going to sink back into a block as quickly as we can. And teams are emphasizing not letting Hani Mukhtar run at their back line because they're just sinking more midfield lines to to kind of interrupt him before he gets there. That's a huge part of it. And, and then um, it would behoove me to say small sample size too. I talked last week about how um, even outstanding goal scorers go through droughts of five games. Unfortunately, a, a drought of, of six games is, is one longer than that. But it is a situation where um, you know, this guy is still leaning in the golden boot despite that. I think if his goals had been distributed or if the games had been distributed a little bit differently throughout the season, nobody would even really be thinking about it. They wouldn't be saying, oh, he has a little bit less production than I think. It's just because of kind of the order of operations. And that does still count. It does still mean that he's gone as long as he has without scoring. But I do think it it probably is just if you look at what he has averaged per game over the course of the season is, is a, a better look at kind of his overall performance thus far. If I'm Gary Smith, going back to our Leeds Cup conversation a minute ago, I tell Honey Mukhtar, I'm giving you 45 minutes against Colorado. You are No matter what you do or don't do, you're not playing more than 45 minutes. You're starting. Go ham. Get out there and just go crazy and and do every. I think having him touch the back of the net again, regardless of the factors that have led to this futility, I think is crucial to get him back on that hot streak, to get him feeling good heading into a break. Uh, he's going to have some fun at the All-Star weekend, come back 45 minutes. And then based on how he does against Colorado, you, you gauge his involvement against Toluca. But I think it's a huge opportunity for him to to just feel a little better about himself, to play feelings mm-hmm. ball for a minute, yeah. but but also to, to you know how how strikers, but also in his case, just pure goal scorers can be when they see the net, when they hit the net, it, it has a, a virtuous cycle effect. Yeah, maybe he can do a little bit of the like ski ball uh, volley game that he won last year, and <laughs> there and you go. That see, just seeing the ball go into the uh, the targets rather than the net can can help him uh, gain that confidence back. The most feelings ball thing I'll ever say on this podcast, and hopefully, uh, exactly. hopefully, he and Walker avoid getting a red card in the All Star game. I mean, the way things are going right now wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Good friend of the show, Logan Elliott, says he's going to preface this question by saying, I'm honestly a big fan of Gary, but I can't help but feel like the Fafa Red is at least partially poor man management. I don't know how it came across on TV, but watching live as Logan was there, uh, Fafa was boiling over since before halftime. Is that a fair critique? Maybe so. I mean, I think, you know, watching live gives you that opportunity to kind of see guys away from the ball and see how they're doing. So I'll trust you on that, Logan. But what are the alternatives there really for you? I mean, I think, you know, you could have put Schaffelberg in a little earlier than you intended, I guess. I get it. I think you have to, rather than being man to management, you have to rely on the men to manage themselves in those situations yeah. and maintain their composure. When you have veterans that you brought in in part because they're veterans, you have to expect them that they're going to act like it. Yeah. That's my biggest thing is, is if you're ranking the, the people on Nashville SC's bench who are, who are most to blame for this, I would say Fafa Pico is probably number one. Like you mentioned, he's brought in because he's a veteran. This is not a dude who 
um, has a history of, of, you know, making dumb plays like that either. He's not somebody who gets certainly a, a whole lot of second yellows or anything like that. And I think Gary Smith trusted him at the same time. Yes, we have the benefit of hindsight, but uh, if a player makes, makes a mistake that is not a, a, a physical mistake, if it's something that is, is foreseeable by the coach based on what is going on, the coach has some responsibility for that. I don't think he's primarily responsible, like I said, but at a certain point, it's the coach's job to know his guys and know if Fafa is close to boiling over. And if it was obvious from, from the stands, as, as Logan says, maybe it was partially something that Gary should have handled. I do think that um, it's reasonable to have trusted Fafa to, to behave like the veteran that he is. Um, when he doesn't do it, it, it's not an indictment of him, but it is something that, um, you know, obviously damaged the team. And, and ultimately, the, the manager is responsible at the top for that. Nashville has the oldest roster in Major League Soccer. The players they've employed average 29.9 years. That's almost a year more than number two. That's going to come with trade-offs and sacrifices that you have to make. You're going to have to rotate more. You're going to have to deal with probably some injury issues. But the reason you take that chance is because those veterans bring you a stability and a composure that you're not going to get if you're New York Red Bulls playing guys averaging 24 years old as part of that larger Red Bull system coming up through through the ranks. Nashville's not benefiting from that right now. <laughs> they're, they're, they're hitting the drawbacks, having to rotate older legs, having to deal with some of that stuff without the benefit of the veteran presence. And I expect them to, you know, as they're recovering elements of their identity during League's Cup, that's number one, is to to um, hold the veterans accountable to acting like veterans, which they've done time and time again in the history of this club. Uh, they need to do it. Fafa is not mm-hmm. the only culprit there, certainly. Uh, officiating questions here. John Mueller, is there a pro conspiracy against Nashville? No, and I know you probably don't mean that, John, but uh, you're you're making the statement, you know, as a hyperbolic way of saying you're frustrated. I get it. He says lots of, quote, valid calls against the boys in gold balanced by an equal or greater amount of missed calls on our opponents has me thinking and Stuke says, is it, is it fair to say that it's okay to be upset with the refereeing for the Cincinnati match? Not because it was bad, but so inconsistent. He says there's no reason Miazga should have finished that match. And the fact that Lucho did is also questionable. Yeah, I think uh, Miazga probably has a lot of opposing fans saying that, that more mm-hmm. often than not. But mm-hmm. um, to go to John's question, I do not think there's a, a conspiracy against Nashville. However, I will say that uh, early in, in Nashville SC's tenure as a major league soccer club, Hani Mukhtar, whether or not you believe it's deserved, picked up a reputation as a diver and opposing teams have, have, uh, kind of wised up to the fact that the, the officials haven't altered their view as, as Mukhtar's career through major league soccer has gone on. And they're saying, Hey, we can get away with a little bit extra on this guy. Cause the officials are not going to call it. And that's something that, um, you see it, uh, in, in small things off the ball, you see it inside the box teams are more willing to play physical with Mukhtar because they say, hey, if it's a 50-50 call, this dude is never going to get it. He's got a reputation as a diver. Um, from my personal perspective, stepping back, I don't I don't think he's any more of a diver than your average attacking player. He might have been in his first year, honestly. I, I, I won't, uh, I, I would have to go back to confirm or disconfirm that that's the case. But at this stage, he gets, he does get hit more often than the average player. And it gets called at the same rate or lower than than the average attacking player. I do think there is something to that. Again, it's not a conspiracy. It's just a matter of of kind of officials having been told and 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 pro not making sure that uh, it, it, pro doesn't see it as pro's business to make sure the league MVP gets officiated fairly. 
and opponents, uh, you know, go, have gone out of their way to say, hey, we see that this guy isn't being officiated fairly. Let's take advantage of that. And he is the seventh most fouled player in Major League Soccer, was eighth most last year. Part of that is that I think officials are starting to to moderate a little bit toward calling a few of those, but also he's just on the ball so often for Nashville that frequency is going to, you know, lead to yeah. frequency. Of the, 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 well. the, the balls and strikes to to continue beating this metaphor to death <laughs> are if, if he gets fouled 40 times and 30 of them are called and that's, you know, 15 more than the next most guy, yeah. that doesn't mean necessarily that it, that it's fair even. Yeah. It's just how often he's on the ball in, in a lot of ways too, for sure. Um, I think that's it. I think referees, I mean, they, they do film study. They know what guys tendencies are. It's not about a team. Uh, it's not about, oh, let's screw Nashville today it, or, or even <laughs> Nashville is blank. It's style of play. It's individual players and their tendencies uh, unfortunately did not, you know, keep the referee from, um, you know, ignoring some of Lucho Acosta's theatrics as well. I, I love uh, Acosta in front of goal. I don't like him anywhere else on the pitch. I don't like the way he plays quite honestly, tactically. Yes. But in terms of cynicism, ugh, I just, ugh, he's, he's the guy you gotta, he, you gotta he start. He knows how to play the game, man. I get it, you don't have to love it, but you gotta you gotta no. have at least a little respect for it. He he does what he does, and he does it well. I don't have to like it, but he doesn't care if I like it. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Beasy, what does the future of MLS officiating look like without pro referees? Will the league handle officiating internally or utilize the CONCACAF referee department? And I, Tim, maybe you're more up on this than I. I have heard that MLS is thinking about moving away from pro uh, mm-hmm. with the officiating contract. What do you know there, and, and what could that look like? What's the alternative? Yeah, I mentioned I mentioned that as well, that I've heard it. I have not heard anything concrete. I don't think it's inevitable. I don't think it's imminent, but I do think it's a possibility. Um, somebody asked, I forget who it was, I'm sorry, and we didn't write it into the rundown, asked um, that about whether USL had, had made an announcement that they were not going to contract with Pro anymore. And I kind of vaguely recall that too. They are using Pro this year, so, so it clearly hasn't happened yet if it's going to happen. But it is a situation where um, I think Major League Soccer would take its referee assignments in-house. Pro referees is essentially, it's essentially a labor union in a lot of ways. So they mm-hmm. negotiate with the league to make sure their guys get paid. They make sure their guys get assignments. MLS would would largely take that in-house. Um, PRSA, which is literally the the labor union, would would kind of negotiate directly with the league instead of kind of going through a middleman that um, you know, essentially is, is a way to skim off the top at this stage. Um, it, and they would, they would kind of negotiate directly with them. Um, a lot of leagues in this country's connection to pro, obviously other than, than just the longevity of, of how long pro has been doing it, was with Howard Webb, who left pro. He was the head of pro and left this offseason. So I think that's part of um, where some of the the reporting and or rumblings have come from in terms of, of MLS and pro or USL and pro splitting up. But at the end of the day, I think it'll it'll work out such that pro remains involved, even if it's if it's not quite as um, quite as direct in, in terms of of how they are are, are almost user facing how how the public for uh kind of sees them um and just to to kind of you know one of those one of those moments of tension is when mls and i believe it was prsa put out a a statement together that that there was a mistake and pro issued a a countervailing statement in in one of the games not this past weekend but the previous weekend so you can see the tension you can see that it's not all all sunshine and roses between all these organizations that need to work together so um, officials would still need to be USSF certified. Um, again, I'll, I'll, I'll shout back to, to Stephen Shirley's uh, offer for anyone to to sign up for his um, officiating training course at the end of this month. 
Um, but you know, going through USSF and, and making sure these guys are certified and then, then major league soccer could, could hire them directly or, or, you know, with a labor union. I'm going to make a promise not to talk about officiating the rest of the uh, episode. Now, as we move on, uh, I won't hold you to that. I thought promise. you were going to say year. Uh, I was like, I can make no such promise. Year? No way. No, the next literally 10 <laughs> minutes of my life. <laughs> That's all I can promise. And I can't promise I won't vent about it later on today in private conversation. Um, Cam and Justin are both talking about the transfer situation uh, and essentially asking who's, who else is coming in. We've, we've heard reporting, widespread reporting, that that uh, Sam Surridge is close to signing with the Boys in Gold on a deal somewhere above five million dollars um perhaps to tom bogart who's been on that um others in uh throughout throughout the soccer ecosystem um nottingham forest number nine seven goals and 17 appearances with forest in the championship one premier league goal uh this past year in limited action cam asking uh is there anybody else that nashville might be targeting positionally besides a number nine where is the need what, what are the holes that nashville needs to fill this window and Justin as well. When would we expect Surge to join the club? And do we make a run at a TAM level signing or other moves on the horizon before the window closes? I look at, at the U22 slot that's available to Nashville as an opportunity. As long as supporters understand that's probably not a transformative opportunity this season. It is a hopefully better than Panero, but that type of speculative signing typically to bring somebody up within the club. Um, and I see maybe a central mid as, as that opportunity. What do you think, Tim, about that or, or other positions of D? Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. There is, is I could even see additional center forward depth. I know Tom had mentioned well over a month ago that there was an expectation that Nashville would not only bring in likely a designated player, number nine, but also a guy who was, who was going to provide more high level depth. And that's nothing against Teal Bunbury. It's nothing against Ethan Zubak. But I think when you look at how this club has, has, had difficulty scoring from anyone other than Hani Mukhtar at this stage. Um, Fafa Pico and, and Jacob Schaffelberg have looked more consistent as, as members of a strike pairing than the actual uh, center forward style players themselves. And that's something that if you can add uh, both a guy that you expect to be the starter and somebody who can provide competitive depth with those guys who are already on the roster, that would make some sense. Central midfield is weird because Jan Gregush kind of filled, filled a role in a way that we didn't think was going to be possible to fill. And I just don't know that, with Anibal Godoy returning from the Gold Cup, that you that you have the the roster space to spend on a guy like that. We we always said there's the roster space, but there's not the the budgetary and and kind of playing time availability that that would make sense. And then Greg Gooch kind of was the perfect fit for that. <laughs> I think you could look at more fullback depth. Um, when you don't have Shaq Moore, you basically have to play a back five, as we saw against Cincinnati. Yeah, Alex Mwil will go out and do a darn job. He's not a fullback. You have to play him as a wingback, basically. And I don't think that that's a situation that Nashville wants to be in. I don't think there's anybody currently playing for Huntsville, whether they are on a Nashville SC contract or a Huntsville contract who could come up and, and play if Shaq were to be suspended again, if Shaq were to need rest. I think that's a, a spot where you could really use some help. And then um, the, the one that I think is is interesting but but not necessary is another winger. If you want to try and switch back to more of a, a Gary – typical four, two, three, one. You've seen the, the diamond get exposed a little bit over the past couple of weeks. If you want a little bit more solidity with a second defensive midfielder, especially with Godoy returning from international duty, you need another winger who has dynamic pace. Fafa Pico and Jacob Schaffelberg both bring that. If you play them both, uh, then you don't have speed off the bench necessarily, unless you want to play like Taylor Washington there. You have to play a different style of winger if you want to sub one of those guys out. And I think Nashville would be well served to 
have more like for like replacements, even if they aren't going to be quite as good as either of those guys. Yeah, I think you can you can address obviously Sam Sturridge would address the striker spot. You could address a backup striker in the transfer market as well, potentially, but also you've got some good game to to make some trades here uh to to try to work out some of these other, you know, you know, lower profile positions like a backup right back. And and I trust Mike Jacobs and this this club's this front office's scouting within the league up with anybody else in this league to to identify that that person who might just be an undervalued asset somewhere else and could come in and um and, and be effective with with you know decent a decent gam outlay, but a guy who maybe isn't getting the time where he currently is. I mean we've seen them do that with yeah. some success before. Yeah. Here's we'll something see. that we we should have talked about previously, but it uh-huh. kind of makes sense now. Is during League's Cup, Nashville can play guys who are on Huntsville contracts or play guys who are who are not otherwise available for league matches. Do you think we see a guy like a Dem Sipic get a run out in maybe the second half of one of these games? Maybe get a few minutes to see if he'll be ready to play um, for this club next year. See if he's going to be a nine of the future. Um, my understanding, I, I've been told from sources within the club that he's not going to be eligible for league play this year. Okay. But if you can get him in for League's Cup and, and kind of get his feet wet, get him in front of you know 31,000 people at Jodas Park as a, a Toluca game, for example, will will provide you. Maybe you can develop some depth through the Huntsville roster in ways that without a transfer, you can kind of see because of League's Cup that, that you have... Or, or you can see what you don't have waiting to, to kind of have its opportunity to move on up. I love it. I think even just working him in onto the bench and get, giving him 10 minutes at the end of a match, just getting him into the routine of what it's like to be a part of that squad. I, I mean, I look at even Sean Suber is the same type deal center back, you know, young, young guy mm-hmm. coming up kind of along a similar path uh, started for Huntsville and actually looked really solid last night when I watched him play. I think you can reward a few of those Huntsville guys, but especially the ones that, that you do see as as potential future, you know, assets. As much as I'd love to see, you know. Well, are, you, are you roasting Jonathan Bolaños that hard? I love <laughs> Jonathan Bolaños. Again, <laughs> last night, loved him. His finishing left something to be desired on a couple occasions last night. But he is, man, he is all over that pitch. He's a freaking mosquito. I would love to see him play up there. But, I mean, obviously, you know, talking about your more projectable assets and not your vets that are there to do a job as you say a minute ago, I, I think, you know, even like an Isaiah Johnston, there's some guys that are down there that are contributing that could absolutely benefit from some time. And yeah, I think that time is probably 10 minutes at the end of a match and it's training yeah. with the first team versus starting against Colorado or certainly Toluca, but nothing would surprise me. I think that's another purpose of this. And you're going to see some clubs go all in on letting their next pro guys get some reps here. I don't think Nashville's one of them, but I think they can, they can pepper some in for sure. Did I just ask ourselves a mailbag question, kind of? I think that I did. That was great. That was fantastic. <laughs> uh, Tim, uh, with the nice question there. Um, Jay Robinson closes out the mailbag uh, today, unless Tim thinks of other mailbag questions he wants to ask. <laughs> uh, he says there are a lot of Self-assigned neg- homework. <laughs> exactly. There are a lot of negative things, Jay says, to dwell on in the past few games. Yeah, we've spent more than an average-length podcast already talking about them. Uh, Jay says, what in your eyes is something positive we can take away? from the past few games uh not much weather was beautiful it was yeah it wasn't even that (laughs) lightning delay i felt like i was swimming walking up to the walking through the air to to the the match on wednesday i mean i think i'm I'm trying hard to think here about any positives that we can take away i think what you can look at um maybe less so for wednesday's match but but through most of these is as poorly as this this team has played as, as bad as the results have been the matches have still been close. This is a club that's not far off. They've been doing it without, um, for a variety of purposes, 
Ani Balgadoy, Jacob Schaffelberg, Fafa Pico at times, um, Jack Mayer. They've been doing it in kind of patchwork rosters, and they have been not so far off from what they want to be. They have not been close enough to what they want to be, but I think when you look at a team that gets healthy, that gets Godoy back from Gold Cup, that has obviously gotten Schaffelberg and Pico back from Gold Cup, to say a, a club that's close but not good enough suddenly has not only potentially additional pieces in in the, the form of a, a surge, for example, but also the pieces that they were expecting at the beginning of the year. As, as much as, you know, we, I talked last week about how uh, Nashville rides the roller coaster and we always say not to get up, not to get too up and not to get too down. And there hadn't been very many opportunities this year to get down. Um, I, that one really bit me in the ass, but, yeah. <laughs> but I will say that when you look at how bad it's been, this club is still in a playoff position. This club is is not that far off, and and you're riding the the bottom, whatever the what is the crest trough. You're riding the trough of the wave right now, and it's going to get better quickly. I don't doubt that. I think this is still a top four quality team, and there are going to be chances for them to to fall below that when you look at teams like Columbus and Atlanta on their heels. But but I think this is a team that has every hope and, and should have every expectation of still finishing in the top four for all the reasons that you mentioned. You know, and I think the positive for me is that. Uh, and it, it kind of mirrors what you're saying, but but Nashville's one or two touches away from transforming their fortunes in both of those last two games. If Teal mm-hmm. hits the target, if the hockey scrum in front of net either has a handball call or the ball goes in, I, mean, I think Nashville scores eight times out of 10 in that situation as well yeah. against Philly, and it doesn't happen. They, they go up 1-0 on the road in Cincinnati thanks to a really good goal from Walker Zimmerman. Um and then obviously we saw what happened the rest of the way, but this is not a team that's getting skunked three nil and not being in matches. And I, that's yeah. what would be really concerning to me. And it's, it's just not the case. They're still showing themselves. Yeah. And the Cincinnati match, especially uh, before the, the, the nine man situation that Nashville had gotten into all, all but like a 10th of a goal of FC Cincinnati's production had been from the penalty kick. Mm-hmm. So this is a club that, that, is able to go to the the supporters shield leaders the, the club that's on pace to to smash single season points records and was still holding them to to a lower um you know a lower output than i think they've seen it at all this year of course a penalty kick is it still counts and and once you go down nine men and, and the situation changes you don't get to say oh well actually we didn't lose mm-hmm. because because it, it was two two situations that are just not going to repeat themselves but you can look at it and say as we project forward um, we're not going to give up a lot of penalty kicks. We're not going to go down to nine men a whole lot, and and things can feel a little bit better there. Yeah, I I got some flack for tweeting at halftime Cincinnati, like this game's going exactly according to plan for Nashville, and and the flack was, but it looks so ugly. Are you kidding me? And I said that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Success. That's what they wanted out of this. Uh, let's go outside in and, and quickly dissect the uh, the Gold Cup semifinal loss to Panama. Congratulations to Anibal Godoy for at least getting one round further before Mexico wins Gold Cup. Tim, does this really matter? Uh, no, I, I guess is the simplest way to put it. Um, <laughs> as we're about to talk about in a second, um, the U.S. called an A-B team. Um, they were coached by by a B coach. And I hope I actually do hope that BJ Callahan remains on, on Greg's staff. He was mm-hmm. on Greg's staff for the past cycle. Um, obviously, he uh, acquitted himself very well. But at the end of the day, this, this was not a team that is going to feature many guys who have a future with with the U.S. men's national team, at least not in a full strength lineup. And that's that's fine. 
obviously I would have preferred to beat Panama. I would have preferred um, either Panama or the United States to beat Mexico. Um, it was the goal last night was an especially, uh, especially a bummer because Panama had just missed like a golden chance. And then it came on the counter from that. I was so pissed, but um, no, I, I, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme. Um, in some ways it, it might help deflate uh, USMNT fans a little bit and, and, diminish some of the potential cockiness that we saw out of, for example, <laughs> Canada after, after finishing first in, in world cup qualifying, it can kind of keep our egos in check a little bit and maybe sure. be a little bit of a help. Um, disappointing though it is to, to go out in the gold cup semis. Uh, is there anybody that in particular that you enjoyed watching or that you learned about as part of the speed team that, you know, anybody that made an impression on you? Uh, I will say there's one guy who made a negative impression and that is Alejandro and Tejas that I, I like what his skill set can be. He just doesn't have the the athleticism to be the sort of guy that is going to be able to do it at the the a international level. I just don't think that's something that he's going to have. A guy, who, a, a couple of guys actually were were pleasant surprises. Both fullbacks, um, Dewan Jones. I've been a little bit of a skeptic of. Um, I think he's all speed and his technical ability is what it is. Um, some of that is just the nature of playing for a Bruce arena team. We saw it with Matt Turner. Everybody thought he couldn't play with his feet. He's no longer playing for the revs and all of a sudden he's, he's just fine with it. Um, <laughs> but some of it is, is just that um, Dewan Jones is, is not going to be a Serginho Dest sort of wizard on the ball to say the least. And the other one um, is Brian Reynolds. He's a guy who, who I was high on a long time ago. He's kind of fallen off the map. You know, he left Dallas and has kind of had a winding path through Europe. I was really impressed with what he's able to bring on the attacking side of things. It seems like he's cleaned up some of the like brain turns off lapses defensively. And if he can continue to make progress in that area, this is a guy who I think actually might have a future with the A team. Um, of course, Matt Turner was outstanding, but that's completely expected. Um, one penalty shootout too many for him. Um, shout out to uh, the, the job that he did against Canada in that regard, though. I'm um, not quite enough against Panama. Uh, Alan Wagadoy uh, played a lot. For Panama. Yes. They started every match, went 102 minutes against the U.S., and then went the full 90 in the loss to Mexico. Did I mean, at this point, is there anything to learn about on a ball? Or, you know, how would you assess his performance other than uh, obviously getting a whole lot of minutes in those matches? Yeah, man, it, it is interesting how um, some of it is just Panama's need, but he seems to be more up for going every single minute if they ask it of him than he is I'm sure Gary just team. loves that they're using yeah. him that much oh yeah I'm sure the, the season um it's it's the Anibal that we've come to know and love um he's he's Panama's captain more often than not and um there's a reason for that he's he's going to retire um and and go down as, as one of Panama's greats I mentioned before tournament began that I was kind of surprised that they had called up Anibal and a bunch of other over 30 guys but you see with a with a nation like Panama they don't play for the World Cup this is their this is their trophy that they can play for um they almost almost pulled it off too mm -hmm. but they they this might be the last hurrah for some of these guys um, I don't think it's necessarily Godoy's last hurrah but he's going to be kind of the veteran on the bench sort of guy in the next gold cup um, more likely than being kind of a, a talismanic every minute sort of guy so uh, I'm sad for that for for him for that but uh, also, you saw why Nashville would be very glad to have him back, too. If anybody was going to beat the U.S., I'm glad it was him and Panama and not Mexico, certainly, and not Canada. 
even, you know, even though my wife cares zero about soccer, she'd have found a way to enjoy that. Uh, if Canada, <laughs> my Canadian wife had, had, had enjoyed that victory. Uh, Launchpad quickly had an awesome time in Huntsville. Actually, as we record this, I just got back home about four hours ago. I had such a good time that I decided to to take a night actually at a hotel in, in Huntsville and use some Marriott points and just crash there uh, instead of driving back late after that match. Um, and it was a lot of fun, Tim. Went to uh, Fractal Brewing. Uh, I can say that. They're not an Amoros competitor. I can name somebody in another city, I guess. Uh, met with the FUBAR supporters group there. Uh, they have a Nashville branch as well. Jeremy and I had a great conversation. Tyler, Judy, that whole crew. Uh, it was great to meet them. Great to get to know some folks uh, and to see the the budding supporter culture in Huntsville. It takes time to build a product from whole cloth, but they're doing it the right way. Uh, Joe Davis Stadium is tremendous, extraordinarily fan friendly. Enjoyed the beer garden there and multiple of the beers. Uh, the, the sight lines are really good there. It's a, a family environment um, for sure. It, it's a place that you can go take your kids and know they're not going to, you know, be exposed to raucous, you know, crap, whatever. Um, it, it was really nice. I, I don't, I mean, it's just, it was good. The team itself lost 2 1 to Toronto. But there were some good individual performances, some promising stuff there. And Tim, I, I certainly recommend that anybody who wants to takes the hour, 55 minute drive down to, to Huntsville, checks out a match. So usually on Sundays, you can get down and back if you want in a day. And it was certainly worth worth my time. Yeah, I'm excited to make it down there at some point, um, hopefully this summer. Uh, that's something that not only is it cool to have another soccer team and, and one that is affiliated with Nashville SC that close, but but kind of being able to, to see the future, like we talked about a little while ago, seeing some of these guys who are going to be hopefully the Nashville SC stars of, of the years to come, seeing them kind of develop. And that's, that's something that I've you know, long had a passion about. Anybody who knows what I do professionally understands what, how my brain is wired for that sort of stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad to hear that it, that it lived up to your expectation. It was great. I texted multiple members of the front office and just said, guys, you should be proud of what's happening in Huntsville. Um, and especially and they said a, new number who this <laughs> exactly they said don't don't do this again don't text again <laughs> no they're both both of them very gracious and um and uh glad to hear and, and it's, it's good to be able to convey that, that, that it, there is something really cool building i think nashville's doing that whole thing the right way uh by not having you know nashville sc2 playing at mtsu mm-hmm. or lipscomb it, you know be fun to be down the street but it's much more fun to have a separate brand and a separate community around that and it's it's really great uh, final whistle. I'm going to say we've gone this far without even talking about the women's world cup. That's, that's coming up. Um, I'm going to, for my content here, I'm going to, I'm going to say beyond the U S I encourage myself this is my homework assignment, but each of you f- find another women's world cup team and just learn about them. Obviously cheer for the U S but find another story here and, and, you know, glom onto it a little bit and, and, and follow that team, especially if they're not playing at two in the morning and you could actually watch them play a little bit. My boss actually toured FIFA headquarters in Switzerland last week as part of a family vacation and ran into the Zambian women's national team uh, heading over to the world cup. They were touring as well. Um, they, they lifted the FIFA trophy, apparently the world cup trophy. I guess it's probably bad luck um, to do that if you're an actual team. Uh, but uh, it was it, it's it's neat to learn about some of the other stories as Tim, the U.S. of course, has been strong for for years and years and years in women's soccer. The beauty of it is seeing the game game grow globally as money is finding its way into this the women's side of the sport as well. Yeah, my uh, my content recommendation is also Women's World Cup related. There's a story on The Guardian 
uh, called uh, Women's World Cup 2023, your guide to all 736 players. And it has at least a, a sentence or a paragraph about every single player who is going right. to be available for their teams in the Women's World Cup down in Australia and New Zealand. Um, I you know, smell tests just reading the, the U.S. Uh, paragraphs, which is obviously the team that we're most familiar with. It, it seems to, to pass muster. So if you want to know about um, some of these opponents that that the U.S. could potentially face, um, check it out. Um, obviously, it is not a, a, like a lunchtime read. <laughs> it's pretty in depth, but it's definitely going to help you if you if you're not somebody who follows uh, women's soccer as as closely as you do men's soccer during um, you know most of each four year cycle. This is a perfect catch up piece for you. That's uh, that's really cool. That's some junkie level crap right there. Can't wait to jump in. And, I would never. I would never. I <laughs> know. What a shock. What a shock. Uh, thanks for for hanging with us for an extra long episode. There was so much to discuss and there's more that we didn't even get to that we could. So uh, we will be back. Of course, we'll be continuing during Lee's Cup action to bring you analysis. Uh, check us out at ML Rose. I'll be there again. Don't check me out at ML Rose. That's I mean, if you want to, I guess, but I'm happily married. <laughs> um, check out ML Rose and come say hi. Uh, likely will be there before rather than after, I would say, on Sunday for the Colorado match. I'll be out of town on business for Toluca, but eager to be hanging in Melrose. Uh, listen to some Moon Taxi as you did at the beginning and the end of this episode, and then hop on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about us. League's Cup requires some explaining, right? Like if we're not all diehards, we may not know what the heck's going on. So as you're telling your friends what's going on, send them to us and we'll be able to, to you know, give you more explanations like we did on this episode of analysis as well. Um, and thanks to the 440 Sports Network for uh, the platform. Woo! I'm going to catch my breath after a long episode, Tim. Any final thoughts on your end? No, let's, uh, let's hope for, for brighter days than the, the past couple of weeks for Nashville SC as we move into League's Cup and then uh, close out the regular season. They're coming and we'll be here to talk about them later.